0: I genuinely love coming and serving this church. You guys have absolutely gotten under my skin and into my heart. And um, it's just a a joy to come and be with you today. Uh, You guys are doing a brilliant thing, which is working your way through uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, these astonishing words of Jesus uh, inviting us into a livable faith. I um, got the chance to serve with the feast community earlier this year. And I said to them, I bumped into Uh, Matthew 5 to 7 in January this year, January the 7th it was actually, and I haven't gotten out of it ever since. Uh, Over and again, the Lord's brought me back again and again and again to the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, 6 and 7 of of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. And uh, over the course of this year, it's changed me. Is a church that I spent last Sunday with in Perth who actually every single year just after Easter come back to the Sermon on the Mount and teach through it again and there's a reason why they make that annual pilgrimage. These words will change who you are. They'll change the kind of person you are, the kind of husband you are, the kind of mother you are, the kind of employer you are, the kind of employee you are, the kind of neighbour you are. The kind of neighbor you are. Uh, they They'll change you. They're wildly practical. And the portion of it that I've been asked to sit in today uh, starts in chapter 7 at at verse 7, where we uh, read these words. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and everyone who and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for bread, would give a stone? (laughs) Or, Or if a child asked for a fish, will give a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things? To those who ask him. Um, If you're anything like me, if you read those words and you open your spirit, a bunch of memories will come of moments where you've asked, where you've sought, where you've knocked. Back in early 2002, I was going through Bible College doing the world's slowest graduate diploma and um, I was going through with a mate of mine who was full-time and progressing much more quickly through what he was doing and uh, sometime, uh, I think either late 2001 or really early 2002, he started to get um, persistent, debilitating headaches. He hadn't previously had them. Um, They came on and they didn't go away. They were persistent and... um, After a while, he became so worried about them that he started to chase medical answers for what was happening for him. Uh, And I remember one Sunday night, uh, my wife Sarah and I came home from church and there was a message on our answering machine and it was a message from this friend of mine saying um, that he'd been to the doctor that week and he'd just got the results back from an MRI and that there was a a black spot on his brain that they were fearful was the explanation for his headaches. Um, And... Yeah, there's some messages where you can just hear palpable fear. And um, so my wife and I drove uh, from where we were uh, in riot over to where he and his young wife were living at the time and um, together with another friend of ours uh, just sat down and prayed for this guy and cried out to our Lord. We asked, we sought, we knocked um, for healing. I can't remember how long it was after that that we got the phone call from this friend of mine saying he'd been back and had another MRI and that the black spot was gone. And he's alive and fine today. I I, I don't know what fills your mind. (laughs) Ask and seek and knock. As someone who started up a faith-funded charity with one supporter and no government funding, um, we've had plenty of chances to ask and seek and knock um, in the hope that we might um, receive and find and have the kind of room open up in front of us that we hoped for. Uh, three years after we started up the legal centre, this um, small financial blip called the Global Financial Crisis washed through and wiped out our support base uh, overnight. Literally three-quarters of our support base disappeared um, it, with a, a stroke of, I don't know, is it a pen that they run the Dow Jones Dow Jones Index with? <laughs> uh, but it just had vanished overnight. And uh, so we lived through a season where... Um, We had no savings because we'd spent our savings funding the first year of what we were doing. (laughs) And all of a sudden we had um, almost no supporters and and we had to watch and wait and ask and seek and knock. Um, And somehow in the kindness of God, some random church from northwestern Sydney said, we have a manse that we're not using at the moment. Would you like to come and live in it for free for 18 months? And 18 months turned into five years while we rebuilt the finances for the ministry that we run and... um, my wife won a car in a shopping centre contest. <laughs> and, and a million other random things that when I read these words, they flood to mind. And I, I need to stand here, particularly at the end of a week like this week, and tell those stories... <laughs> Because we need to share the stories of the asking and the receiving, the seeking and the finding, the knocking and a door opening to exactly the kind of room we hope for. We must share those stories amongst each other if we are to become asking, seeking, knocking kind of people. You know, all that stuff way back in chapter 5 about don't worry about anything, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Man, unless we share our stories, we will never become the kind of worry-free, kingdom-seeking people that Jesus intends us to be. We must share our stories. (laughs) And yet, if all the stories we share in this kind of space at this kind of time with these kind of people are all tied up with a bow and have a happy ending, (laughs) if the only words that we read of Jesus... Can you just go through to the next one? Are Just the first part of these words, ask and it'll be given to you, search and you'll find, knock and the door will be open for you, for everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and the door is always opened. If we only read these words and only tell the stories with the happy ending, we end up with a God who looks a lot like a vending machine. And the asking is our $4 that we pop in for our can of Coke to pop out. <laughs> and the seeking is the four eighty dollars we put in for the salt and vinegar chips <laughs> to spit out. And our knocking becomes the means by which we obligate God to give us the thing that popped into our mind. Because that's how neat stories if they're the only stories we tell, um, start to make us think about our father. So it's important for me to say then as well that um, at the same time as I was going through that uh, experience that I talked about earlier with my friend in early 2002, on the 14th of February 2002, I got a phone call from my dad saying that he had some news that he'd been diagnosed with something called motor neurone disease. And I jumped into the exact same car and I drove roughly the same distance and prayed almost exactly the same prayer. And on the 30th of September that year, he died. And I have to tell that story because if we only tell the neat ones, we are not going to be trusted by the world as the carriers of anything that could be regarded as the way, the truth, and the life. The reality is we need to push from just the first part of what we were reading a minute ago into the mystery of the second part, which has these words that are very difficult to live in. For everyone who asks, receives. Do you understand what Jesus says, though? Not everyone who asks, receives what they asked for. Everyone gets something, though. (laughs) Everyone who seeks, finds he doesn't say everyone who seeks finds the thing that they were looking for. Do you understand that? Everyone who knocks, he says, a door will be opened. But it may not be the room that you are expecting to walk into next. Jesus goes on to say then this, if your child asks for bread, will you give a stone? Or if your child asks for a fish, we'll give a snake. Or if you, who are e- if they knew who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Over the next um, seven months after my dad's diagnosis, uh, when we didn't get the answer we were hoping for from the prayer that we prayed. Um, a whole bunch of other stuff changed. My brother-in-law, who's a carpenter, started to make modifications around my parents' house in ways that made life more comfortable for my dad. And my sister, who's a nurse, uh, used her skills to understand what was going on and make the pathway to where it finished as smooth as it could possibly be. And my mum, who is endlessly self-giving, learned how to use hydraulic equipment and care for a person who was incrementally losing the ability to do anything. And um, finally, as the person who loves giving long talks after dad finally breathed his last, I got to stand at the front of a room and talk about my dad in ways that tried to honour him and make sense of what he'd would fi- he been through. We... Um, We learnt to savour moments. We had our last picnic together as a family and we knew the value of it when we sat by the side of that river. I went to my last rugby game with my dad and miraculously saw a Waratahs win, which is a very rare thing. (laughs) And we savoured um, every minute of it. I got to become the kind of son to my father who fished chewing gum out of his mouth when he was choking on it and helped him go to the bathroom when he couldn't do it himself. In ways that expressed inherent dignity to a person who was in the course of losing the kind of wellness that our culture normally values so highly. We didn't get what I asked for that day, but we got good things. We didn't find what we were looking for, but we found good things. The door that our family walked through into, um, took us into a room that wasn't the room we were hoping for, but nonetheless, it was a room that was filled with good things. So if our father is not a vending machine and if Jesus is not asking us to become asking, seeking, knocking people so that we can obligate God to always give us things that will make us comfortable. How does it work? Uh, I would argue um, that the way that Jesus talks about asking and searching and finding uh, operates as mystery, not a mechanism and as participation, not a purchase price. The kind of asking, seeking, knocking that we engage in, in the rhythm of our faith. Isn't a, if I do this, that happens kind of mechanism. That's that's rubbish. <laughs> it's the mystery of he- heaven's presence though at work, even now on the face of planet earth. It's not the purchase price to force God to come and give us the thing that we want. Rather, it's the participation ourselves through our lives, the things that we do in heaven's ways so that the mystery of heaven can be seen on planet earth. Do you understand that that's actually how it worked in the story that relates to my dad? That our family wrapped life around the kind of love that we were asking heaven for all along. That's participation. I would argue that actually the mystery necessitates us to move from just passively asking, standing still, saying, can you just send us some whatever, into seeking. That is actually chasing, looking for, going to find the things that we look for. And when even that doesn't get us to what we want, there's a steely kingdom resolve that fires up inside us to say, I'm going to move from asking and seeking to knocking, to demanding, please, Lord, let me in. That's how, in tiny measure, our freedom and God's freedom come together to make us kingdom people, to change us and to bring about the things that will be the good things our Father wants to give us. Uh, One writer talking about this says it this way, he says, the ancient Jews, the universe wasn't a simple, controlled, mechanistic system. It was a complex, organic community. It had room for freedom both for God and for humanity. Do you understand? That means that's a God who doesn't get painted into a corner by our religious observance, but also a humanity who has freedom in how we respond to what we see God doing or, to be honest, not doing. In this universe, God gives us space and time to live our lives. (laughs) We have a measure of freedom, but our freedom doesn't eradicate God's freedom. God has a measure of freedom, but God's freedom doesn't extinguish ours. It's a universe in interactive freedom with God. So I would argue that Jesus, when he tells these things to us about asking and seeking and knocking, is inviting us to become expectant, but not entitled. Ask for whatever you want. (laughs) Ask for the healing. Ask for the saving. Ask for the money to come that makes the business still operate. Ask expectantly that the answer may be yes. <laughs> Bewilderingly, impossibly at times, in ways that put to shame our overeducated Western plausibility. Ask. <laughs> be expectant. But don't come entitled. <laughs> Don't say I prayed seven times last week. I read my scriptures for an hour at a time. I've been at church. I even help on the setup team. Do you understand how bad the setup team is? I even serve on that. Sorry, that's the exact opposite of the message. Do you understand how great the the setup team is? It's so easy. Everyone loves you. It's the best thing to serve into now. And also there's some gaps. Uh, Do you understand? These things don't compel God to be good to us. We have people all the time who come and go, Frosty, you're just living such a great life. I just know God's going to look after you. Rubbish. I don't get to have nice things happen to me all the time because of the lifestyle that I'm engaged in. That's rubbish. I'm entitled to be expectant. I'm blessed to see my expectations met often enough to sustain them. But God's still free to be God. In the midst of that, then, God is inviting us in our asking and our seeking and our knocking to grow up. Grow up. Grow up and enter into a life of mutuality with God as co-creator of what sustains our souls. Grow up and see ourselves as co-creators with God in our freedom and his freedom, co-creators with God of the things that will satisfy our souls. We don't just sit back like two-year-olds saying, bring us another banana. We get up, we seek, we knock, we work, we make sense of mystery. And we keep participating in the good things that God wants to give to us. That's how grown-ups live. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah? I would argue as well that this kind of asking, seeking, knocking that Jesus talks about then shapes us. You can't walk into mystery and learn how to participate in it without it changing you. Do you understand my family was changed as we lived through what my dad had happened to him in just the same way as I was changed in some measure by the miraculous healing of my friend. They both changed me. One made me more open to wonder, and one created in me a perseverance and selflessness I didn't have before, but they both shaped me. Uh, This year, as we put on this third solicitor that we were paying out of um, funds in the bank, not because we had a support base for her, um, I've had to watch our ministry's bank balance drop like a stone. It's pretty nerve-wracking. And as I say that, a heap of you will go, well, that's really nice, Fancy missions guy, I'm watching that happen in my family's budget at the moment. You're not special. I know I'm not special. That's why I'm telling you about it. Everyone's watched their family's bank balance go south. Many of you in this room, this is the entrepreneurial northwest of Sydney, you've watched business ventures drop like stones. You know what it's like to sit in those seasons. You've lived through sicknesses that you don't know how it's going to end. You've lived through challenges that you don't know where they're going to go to. I'm just giving you one boring example that happens to be mine. But over the early part of this year, as I was watching um, five-figured sums get wiped off a bank account that couldn't really sustain that, (laughs) at least not for very long, um, it turns out that part about don't worry, seek first the kingdom of God, I was pretty good at the seeking first the kingdom of God part, but pretty terrible at the not worrying part, (laughs) And my overactive brain would wake itself, it seemed, at 2.30, 3.30, 4 in the morning, not much later than that ever. Um, and I would wake up and I would worry. Uh, and Jesus would haunt me with the don't worry thing um, and assure me that my father knows um, what I need and would give it to me. And so I would become, um, after a while of worrying, a prayer. And I would lie there on my bed trying not to wake my wife and... Um, silently praying (laughs) but then what i found over the first few weeks and months is i'd start just worrying again and my prayers just would i just couldn't i couldn't i couldn't run a linear prayer from beginning to end it would get interrupted halfway through with worry and um and that went on for weeks and weeks became months and um over time a different kind of muscle memory kicked in for me (laughs) the the worry patch at the beginning that preceded the praying would get shorter and the amount of prayer that I'd get through before worry intruded again will get longer. And you know, there was just a day where I woke up and I was already praying when I woke. <laughs> the first conscious thought that I had was Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my daily bread and forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against us for yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever amen was the only prayer I could pray was the only one I could get through but it became the only one that I needed ask seek knock it changes us it shapes us it makes us become the kind of people that christ intends us to be and finally i would argue that asking and searching and knocking in the kind of way that jesus talks about can you just go back one you're blowing my punchline ending man it's terrible (laughs) asking searching and knocking um leads us to a person not an answer Asking, seeking, knocking in the kind of way Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 4 is about mystery, not mechanism. It's about uh, participation, not paying the purchase price. It shapes us as we do that and where it leads us to um, preeminently, is to a person, not an answer. Which is why it's so unhelpful to ask the question, why? Because unless there's a quick and easy answer, it's mostly an inert question. It doesn't give us any forward motion. if instead we ask the question, who? we get a better answer. Um, Scott Higgins, who used to run Baptist World Aid and therefore kind of lived through leading an organisation responding to worldwide tragedy um, and also in his mid-40s was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and had to process um, what as a faithful Christian person um, incurable illness would look like for him for a long period in his life, uh, wrote an article that he, he published online and in it he said this, he said, the God I worship hasn't surrendered to chaos nor is he its architect. When events overwhelm me, he can be difficult to find, but he remains the incarnate, crucified God who never abandons me, but is always present, responding to chaos with long-suffering love. And my God is the resurrected God whose deep love for humankind and creation will lead him to bring an end to disaster once And for all, when disasters strike, whether the disease that ruins bodies or the earthquake that brings down buildings, there are questions about God that I can't answer. Why often just ends with silence. What he says, though, is the answer I possess is a person. The person of Christ, whose scripture assures us is with us in every circumstance, in us by his spirit. And around us through the community of faith who meet with us week by week by week. So I remember um, as a 12-year-old, my dad was running a bank in Papua New Guinea. He was tough and bulletproof and sailed boats and was on the trajectory to making an astonishing amount of money and then being hauled hauled before a royal commission (laughs) Um, and uh, about... Ten weeks before I finished year six, uh, he had a stroke. And my bulletproof boat-driving, bank-running uh, dad uh, was at home not really being able to properly drink a cup of coffee. Um We got shoved on a Learjet, which is what banks can afford to do for you, and flown straight back to Sydney because in PNG they just say you're better off at home than being in the hospital when something like that happens to you. And um, Dad went through a long process of being cared for really, really well and being um, rehabbed. Um, and eventually uh, he came out of rehab um, for some weekend visits and we were living in our time at that point in time in a flat that the bank had put us up in. It's important that I tell some stories that reflect well on the generosity of banks towards those they care for. Um, and, uh, and Dad was going out for a walk to get some exercise and one of the things strokes can do is it can kind of make you um, kind of piecing things back together, joining the dots, faculties not be what they were. Um, and uh, long after we expected dad to be back from his walk he wasn't back from his walk you know you know because I just told you another story about him being alive in 2002 that this story has a happy ending (laughs) Um, but I didn't know that as a 12 year old and nor did my mum who called my uncle and my aunt and my grandma and my grandpa and anyone else she could think of to start combing the streets of our time and looking for my dad and um it was decided that at 12 years of age um i wasn't old enough to join the search party and so uh, i was sitting alone in a flat in Artarman, uh, not quite knowing uh, how this would come to an end i remember sitting on on the bottom bunk in in the room uh, and i was clutching to my chest my um uh, my bright yellow teddy who i still have above my bed at home and um in a way that I couldn't really have described to you, but crying out, asking, seeking, knocking. And I remember as I sat there, um, the sense that I had was that someone, a physical person, actually came and tangibly, experientially sat next to me, but there was no person there. It's the first time I can ever remember having what might be described as a mystical encounter um, with the supernatural. Jesus came and sat next to me. And long before I ever got an answer about whether Dad would come safely home again, I got a person and I got comfort. And though eventually in the fullness of time I lost my dad again, I've never lost that person who met me in that moment on that bed in my asking and my seeking and my knocking. You guys have had a tough week as a church. I was talking to Pete uh, yesterday morning and just hearing um, the shock and loss at his mum's passing in his voice and, um, and yet listening as well to him um, finding comfort in the person of Jesus. <laughs> but for those of you who come today and there is something that you are facing in your life, an actual real thing that is forcing you, to move beyond stoic perseverance, pretending it doesn't make you as worried as it does, uh, or or self-reliant solving where you think that if only I work even harder than I've been working until now, I'll be able to solve it myself. (laughs) If you're facing something in life uh, that causes you to say, no, I need to abandon those two game plans and ask and seek and knock, I want to assure you from Scripture and from Christ, you will receive, you will find, a door will be opened to you. And even if it's not what you wish for in your hunt for persistent comfort, which is what our culture trains us to engage in, even if it's not that, it will be good. It will be good. And if you're sitting here today and you go, nah, man, I'm not facing anything that's forcing me to do that. Life is just rocking at the moment. Um, Then what I want to say to you is open your eyes. Because seated in this room or across the street from you or next to you on the bus or down the corridor at work is someone who is facing that situation. Do you know how it is that the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of heaven? They inherit it when the rich in spirit push close and share what they have in their abundance. Do you know how it is that the mourning find comfort? It happens when the busy slow down long enough to finally see their mourning and do something that practically makes it better. Do you know how the meek inherit the earth? It happens when the powerful stand in solidarity with them and challenge the systems that ride roughshod over them for the sake of the sneaky and the strong. There may be people in this building that you are the answer to the asking, the finding to the seeking and the safe room to open into as the door is knocked upon. And I pray for you and then be perfectly honest I don't know what's happening next because I haven't seen a run (laughs) sheet help us father to have a bigger vision of what's happening in the universe than just us having endless good emotions help us to be honest with you about the things that we want But help us, Father, to be accepting when instead you give us the things that we need. Help us not to cry out for a God who brings an end to mystery, but to learn to be in loving, mutual, co-creating relationship with a God who is unavoidably mystery. Help us to be people who let themselves be shaped. who meet you and become as well the means by which others meet you in their asking and their seeking and their knocking. Amen.